This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Let's give a hand for for Dana and Liz. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor Bernie. We love coming to Barstow, to High Desert Word Center, because when we come, it's like coming home. We come here and we get such a warm reception. The hospitality is awesome. The people are open and loving. And we just love coming here. Now, there's not too many people that like to go to Barstow. I know it's got a bit of a reputation, but the reputation of this church far exceeds the reputation of Barstow. Y'all have been great to us. And every now and then you're going to hear me talk Southern because we, we actually pastored a church in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for 16 years. And South Carolina, they got an accent. <laughs> and so you'll hear a little bit of that come out of me from time to time. And I know 16 years at the beach suffering for Jesus. Somebody had to do it. <laughs> I think that was God rewarding us for all the tough places that we've actually lived in. Because we started out in ministry as missionaries in the country of Nepal. How many know where that is? I mean, that's that's north of India, south of Tibet. That's where Mount Everest is. It's really rugged country. And some of the places that we ministered in were days away from the nearest road. And in fact, we lived for two years in a village area, two days walk from the nearest road. I mean, we get in a four wheel drive and we go for a day. And at the end of the road, we'd say bye bye civilization. And we'd start walking two days. No running water, no electricity. No telephones, no cell phones, no phone of any sort. I mean, there was the, the communication we had out there was a mail runner. We wrote letters, handed it to the runner, and said, "Run!" <laughs> and he he could actually move pretty fast. He could get into the, our headquarters in two days, and it'd take us three. So he was moving. And when he got back, he'd bring the response to our letters, and and uh, we'd we'd have a data to write, and, and then we'd send another guy, a fresh guy. So we had two of them. <laughs> Worked pretty good. But that was Nepal. We ended up as missionaries in Siberia. You know, that's the Asia side of Russia. <laughs> I always like to tell people it was southern Siberia. So it was about the same latitude as Edmonton, Canada. You know, it was quite north. <laughs> Went through a, a winter there of minus 40. You know, it, when it gets minus 40... Fahrenheit, it's it's minus 40 Celsius, too. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> you get that cold. We'd get up in the morning and look at the thermometer, and then we'd look at how fast was the wind blowing the, the smoke out of the nearest factory smokestack. Because if it was cranking sideways pretty hard, we know, okay, wind chill? Oh, wind chill's got to be minus 70 or so. We better really put some clothes on. So I started out by talking about how great you guys are, and we do want to thank you for your support. Y'all are praying for us. Thank you. I mean, I knew people were praying for me the last trip I did into Vietnam. You know, I I could have got arrested, could have went to jail, could have been fined up to $10,000. Could have have had my name placed on a can't-come-back list. And none of that happened. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> I was there teaching in a, in a Bible school, and uh, this is my third, I think my third time I've taught in, in these Bible schools. And w- when I go and teach, it's a 12-hour course. 
And so you get an interpre- interpreter involved. It takes a while. It, uh, you know, we were doing six to eight hours a day. And I would stand in front of the class uh, six, seven, sometimes eight hours and uh, bare feet because all the shoes are left at the door on concrete. And so after, you know, after about five hours of that, your feet start getting a little bit tired. And, but the first day in Quang Nai, which was the second school, th- this was a month ago. This was, uh, yeah, this is pretty fresh. So this happened in uh, late March, early April. I think I returned home uh, April 3rd. So I was in Quang Nai, which is the middle part of the country. It's just south of Da Nang. And if you remember Da Nang from the war area, yeah, well, this was just a little south of that. And uh, this pretty good-sized town. And uh, the, the school has been running for several years. Our, our main friend or contact is Pastor Nam Tron from Vietnam. He's pretty easy to remember. Pastor Nam from Vietnam. You know, he's an easy name to say and remember. Thank God, because most of them are not. Most of them are, most of them got a, you know, like this, really long and difficult to say. But he's been running the Bible school for, there for uh, several years. He stayed in Ho Chi Minh City and I went by myself there. He stayed with his family for a change. We had a good interpreter already there. He's a, another AFCM member. Guy's 28 years old. We call him David. That's not his name, but that's what I call him and everybody else because it's way easier to say. And his father actually established a church 20 years ago. And his father went through the ringer to get that church up and running. He uh, he actually, he's been arrested numerous times. He spent three years in prison. And the last time they arrested him, he just flat, he flat told him, well, if you arrest me, take me to prison. I'll preach Jesus in the prison. If you let me go, I'll preach Jesus free. If you kill me, I'll just go be with Jesus. And so after 20 years of them trying to shut this church down, they decided, let's just, let's just forget him. Let's just, let's concentrate on the guys that we can actually shut down because him we cannot shut down. And so the school is in his home as the church is as well. That's how they do it in Vietnam. The, the pastor finds a, a fairly large building. That's his home. That's the church. That's also the Bible school. And so when I got there, the students actually came from a day away. They came from the mountains. They were tribal people. And uh, when you hear them talking, you can tell that that's not Vietnamese. You know, Vietnamese is their second language. And so they would come to the school. We'd do the school for one week a month. The students would come and they would stay there. They wouldn't leave. They'd, they'd arrive there. They'd never leave the building because they don't want people to know what's going on. They wouldn't leave the building. They would eat there. They would sleep there. They would go to school there. And when I would come, I actually stayed in a hotel, and I was thankful for it because <laughs> there was no room. <laughs> I mean, we had 20 students camped out everywhere in this place. And so when I would go from the hotel to the to the church, I would be on the back of a, a motorcycle, actually a scooter, you know, one of them step-through kind, take a half hour, and they would dress me up to the point I've got a helmet on, I've got a face shield, I've got this dust mask covering the rest of my face, I've got long sleeves, I've got shoes on. The only thing anybody could see uh, white on me was my hands, and so I'd have them kind of covered up too. They were sneaking me into this school. They didn't want anybody to know that the foreigner was coming to this schoolhouse church <laughs> And so they would sneak me in and then warn me, you know, if the police come, you know, actually on this trip, they didn't warn me. They warned me on the last trip. And so I'm teaching. I'm about the third hour into this new 12 hour teaching. 
It's day number one. It's about 11 o'clock in the morning. And uh, the pastor of this church, the one that's been arrested all those times and uh, spent three years in prison, he stays downstairs. The school's meeting upstairs. He's always on lookout for the for the police. Well, the police came. And he went running upstairs, and I could see him in the back, come in the back, and I could tell he's, he's a little bit agitated. Something's going on. He did some kind of hand signal. My interpreter, which is his son, David, he turned to me and said, the police are here. We must hide you. Next thing I know, a little guy about this tall, he's the administrator, really good guy. I mean, he, he helps minister par excellent. <laughs> I mean, he's thinking what you need before you even need it. Well, he's up. He's got my arm, and I'm going towards a closet. <laughs> he puts me into the closet. That it's just it's it's just this open doorway with a with a curtain hanging down. That's it. And I'm behind this curtain, and he, he sits me in a chair, and he comes up to me before he leaves. He, he gets eye to eye to me like this, and he says, he doesn't know any English, right? He looks at me. He says, Shalom. <laughs> <laughs> He said, just be at peace. You know, I, I knew what he meant. Just just chill. <laughs> don't say anything. Don't don't make any noise. And and so I'm sitting there in the chair and, and I hear David, my interpreter. He's just teaching, carrying on like he'd been teaching the whole time. And so I'm sitting there in my chair thinking, OK, how are they explaining to the police what's going on in the other room? And what if they pull back this curtain? Because <laughs> if they pull back this curtain, here I am. Hell. <laughs> How do I explain what I'm doing in there? And so later I'm asking them. You know, I was in that in, in the closet for about a half an hour. And then they left and they pulled me back out into the classroom. I just picked up teaching right where I left off like nothing that had happened. And everybody else was like, nothing has happened. And later I'm asking, how did you explain the fact that you had Bible school going on in here? And they said, well, these, these are local police. They don't even want to come and bother us, but the higher-ups make them do it. And so the higher-ups now, they said, they were looking for you. I said, for me, personally? And they said, well, no, they were looking for a foreigner, and you are one. So they were looking for you, and if they had found you, they would have been compelled to arrest you, fine you, put you on the can't-return list. And so that's why we hid you. But they give our school, church, he said, my dad, they give us a little bit of slack because they've known them for 20 years. And the local police have watched this church for 20 years, and they said it's never done any harm to the community. It's actually benefited the community. They don't really want to cause any problems, but they have to come and look. Now, if there was somebody even from another part of the country come and teach, like Pastor Nam, my, my main guy from Ho Chi Minh City, our main contact there, when he comes and teaches, if the police come, he has to hide because they would arrest him. They're okay with local people doing their local thing. But if, if they got outside influence, then it's like, okay, we can't let this go by any longer. Well, if they'd have checked the students, because it needs to be local students, if they'd have checked these students, man, they're all from the village area. They're all speaking different languages other than Vietnamese. If they'd have checked them, they'd have gone, well, this is illegal. You guys are all arrested. And maybe they even knew, but they didn't check. So they could go back to their superiors and say, yeah, it, no foreigner there. We didn't see one. <laughs> and they're all local. We didn't check. <laughs> and so we just carried on. And I asked them later, are they going to come back? And they said, well, yeah, they might. 
And so you be careful when you're on that motorcycle coming in, you make sure they don't see your hands, make sure you, they don't see your arms, your, your, don't wear flip-flops, don't wear sandals, you gotta have your feet covered or they might notice a, an American foot and get suspicious that uh, something's going on here. So that's Vietnam. It's an awesome place. And I love talking about it because God is working in that nation. There are people coming to Jesus right and left. The churches are underground, but they're growing by leaps and bounds. There's uh, uh, the, the Spirit of God is moving there. People getting filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. There's healings happening. There's miracles, signs and wonders. And, and uh, the church, I think it registers about 3% which is not bad because neighboring Thailand is 0.1% Christian. So it's growing there. And I always tell people when communism has gone into a place, it wipes the slate clean. I mean, they, they try to get rid of every kind of religion there is. And so slate is clean. And now when it opens up for Christians to come in, it's just that much easier because you share, you share with them what the Word of God says. They believe it. They accept it. They see signs and wonders. They, they grab a hold of it. They don't have, they don't have any, they don't have the, the Buddhism and the Islam and the other things holding them back. So that's good. Now, before I go any further, I want to show you some pictures of, of the last trip that we took. Actually, I was planning on uh, showing that before I launched into that story. But, hey, we're just flowing here, huh? (laughs) I knew you knew part of that story, so I wanted to fill it in. But look at these pictures. This is in Cusco. That's 11,500 feet high up in the Andes.
Well, that gave you a, a snapshot, gave you an idea of what these places look like. And uh, when we went to Peru, I'll just describe a little bit of it. We went to Peru this last time. We started out in Cusco, 11,300 feet up in the, the Andes. Totally different culture up there than on, on the Amazon River. And uh, we've got an AFCM member up there. He's, he's been an AFCM for the last now, 15 years or so. And he's running, he's running a, actually a Rama Bible school. And so we got to teach in his Bible school and administer at his church. And right when that was finished, we went to the Amazon. We did uh, two AFCM family reunions. That's what we call our conferences there. And I just want to dis- describe it a little bit because when we do a, a family reunion on the Amazon, it's an all-purpose conference. You noticed in those pictures that there was wedding night. Fifteen couples got married. You know, and I always like to explain that. We're not moonies. You know, we're not doing these mass wedding ceremonies. This was, see, these people in the village, when they come to Jesus, a lot of times they're already living with somebody that they're not married to. And after they sit under the word for a while, they realize, well, we need to get married. And, and what better place to do it than at the AFCM family reunion? I mean, they want to do it in front of everybody. They want everybody to know, hey, we're getting married. And so the last night of the reunion, we have this marriage night. And, I mean, it takes all night <laughs> because it's not a one-size-fits-all. Ron Thiessen, who is the, the director of all of that, he does individual marriage things for all 15 couples. And so we started like seven in the evening and then about midnight, we're finally wrapping it up. And <laughs> But that's that's what they really like to do. But I call it an all-purpose conference because there's people coming from 22 different villages. Some of them are coming from two days uh, canoe ride away. And when I say canoe, it's a dugout canoe with a little lawnmower engine. They call them picky pecks because they go picky, 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 picky down the river. <laughs> you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of gas, and and they can get to the conference in two days from where they live down the down the river. But it takes them three to four to get home because they got to go upstream. And so these guys are coming. They're bringing people from their church. They're bringing family members. There's there's unsaved people that come because they're invited. And so this all-purpose conference, we see at least, you know, 15, 20 people get saved every time. We see 50 or 60 get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We see about 30 of them get baptized in water. And then we get 15 couples married. So Now, this work on the Amazon has been going on for over 20 years and Ron and Annette Thiessen, these are our AFCM missionaries that started this. This is a missionary success story because they've turned to complete a government of it. They've turned everything over to Peruvian ministers. They now live in Honduras. That's how that's how confident they are that this is going well. And it is. The, the, the Peruvian nationals have picked it up. They're running with it. They're expanding it. There are now 70 churches up and down the Amazon and its tributaries. And, and so when they, they all like to get together, we have to do two family reunions now. One up the Napo River, which is one of the major tributaries, about seven hours boat ride up. And then one in Iquitos, which is on the Amazon, and so that everybody can get to it. That's Peru. Things are going wonderful there. I mean, I can't say enough about the Peruvian ministers that have stepped up and are making this thing run. They're doing a better job now than when it was, the, well, I, I, 
probably a better job. It's hard to say. See, Ron still has some oversight, so occasionally he'll step in and give him some advice and give him some help, and that, that's still needed. So it's running very well. Now, from there to the Philippines, Philippines is an awesome success story. Uh, we've now got over 30 Bible schools running there. I can't even tell you how many uh, AFCM uh, is now registered in the Philippines, so they got their own thing. They've got their own leadership. They've got their own churches, 30 Bible schools. It's running from the top island all the way down to the uh, uh, Mindanao in the south. You may have noticed all the tuna. That's an exciting story. We've got our AFCM regional director for Mindanao, that southern part. That is tuna capital of the world down there. That's where the tuna boats, they go out from. There's canning plants all over Mindanao to can the tuna. And our, our regional director down there was pastoring a church, but then he got hired as one of the chaplains for a tuna company. This is, this is a company that has 15,000 employees. It's huge. It's owned and run by Filipinos. In fact, they're Filipino Christians. And so they're making sure that their company is on a Christian footing. They hire chaplains. They put a chaplain on every tuna boat that leaves. So, so the, the the crew are being taken care of spiritually out there. Uh, our AFCM regional director down there, Pastor Dan, he was a chaplain. But when we were there, the same time we were there with him, he was promoted. He was given the position of vice president for spiritual well-being. And so now he's in charge of all the chaplains. And he's training all the chaplains using the AFCM Video Bible School. So we know what kind of training they're getting. They're getting word of faith training. But now here's the other deal. This tuna company, is, uh, it, it's, got, it's got new canning plants in Papua New Guinea. It's opening another canning plant in Indonesia. And when it goes in and opens a canning plant, it hires all the people, local people, and they start a church. For all the employees, they get people saved that come there to work. They start a church. Pastor Dan, (laughs) the regional director for AFCM in Mindanao, is now in charge of training the pastors for these churches. And so he's overseeing these churches that this tuna company is starting. This is just awesome. I get so excited about it. New ways that God is spreading the gospel around the world. When we were there visiting the tuna, you saw those fish? (laughs) We were actually at the company, and every Monday they gather all the employees around the flagpole. They raise the flag. They they have church. After the flag is raised, they have praise and worship, and then somebody preaches. Well, I got to preach that day. They had me preach. I got to do a a, a Christmas message because it was right before Christmas. And uh, Filipinos start Christmas early, like September. <laughs> and so they're already, they've been celebrating Christmas for a while. So I just launched into a Christmas kind of message and then and talked about how that, uh, you know, in Isaiah, which one is that? 611, I think, is where it's talking about the, the, the Jesus and all his names, wonderful counselor, mighty, all of that. And then it talks about how his, how the shalom, how the peace and his government will have no end. And easy to launch into a nice message about that. Well, I didn't know it, but the president and founder of this company was sitting in his office with his window wide open, listening to every word. 
He really liked what he heard. He invited us up. We all got to shake hands with him. He gave us umpteen cans of tuna fish. <laughs> but we got to meet this guy. Neat guy, man. He's making sure that his company is a Christian-based organization. Awesome. And whenever you eat tuna fish at Subway, you're eating his tuna. <laughs> Just thought I'd tell you. <laughs> now, from there, we went to Nepal. And actually, let me... Let me, let's get into the, the word just a little. Uh, I'm going to save most of the preaching of the word for tonight, but I want to whet your appetite just a little bit. Because when, uh, when we started, uh, came back from all of these trips, I mean, we did three or four countries, uh, right before Christmas in about three months. When we got back, it was time to go ahead and, and itinerate across the states. And so I was asking the Lord, is there something that you want the American churches Something out of me for them. Something that you want them to hear specifically. And he took me back to a word that Kenneth E. Hagin gave before he passed on to the other side. And this word can actually be found in one of the last books that they published with, with him as the author. And it's Tongues Beyond the Upper Room. And you can find this word in the last chapter of that book. And it's a word that actually came out of a vision that Brother Hagen saw just before he passed on. In fact, Liz and I were in one of his Holy Ghost meetings where he was, we could tell, okay, he's, he's seeing things that we're not. Because <laughs> he was like, he was looking off into space, but he was seeing a vision. And in this vision, he saw this huge tsunami wave of the Spirit of God coming to the world. And he saw that and he tried to describe it to us. And he says, how do I, Lord, how do I describe this? It's so big. How do I, how do I say what this is? How do you tell an Eskimo what a tree looks like? He's never seen one before. How do I tell the people what this looks like? Nobody's ever seen this before. But then he sat down and he wrote this. And this is what, this is how it goes. It's in Tongues Beyond the Upper Room. We have seen the wave called the Healing Revival. We have seen the wave called the charismatic movement. We have seen the wave of faith and of teaching of God's word. But now another wave is coming. It's the wave of the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes, we've seen the power of the Holy Ghost in a limited fashion. But a wave is coming that will bring his power on a higher level and in a far greater measure than we've ever seen heretofore. It's coming. The waves of the Holy Ghost are building higher. Don't stay on the old wave of yesterday's move of the Spirit. Swim out into the deep waters of the Spirit realm by praying in the Holy Ghost and get on the next wave of God's purposes for this hour. Then keep on praying so that you can ride that new wave as it builds and builds in divine power and glory. And then Brother Hagin went on to say this. I'm convinced the wave that is coming will be twice as high as the healing wave, the charismatic wave, or the faith wave. In fact, it'll be twice as high as all of them put together. I believe it's going to be the wave that sweeps us right on into the shores of the glory world. This is what he saw. He saw a tsunami wave and it was so big. Well, he says it's going to be twice as high as all of the the, the last few revivals put together. Now, of course, when anybody has a vision or 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 gives a word of prophecy, word of wisdom or or whatever, you got to know that it's backed up by the Word. You can't just take anything and, and grab a hold of it and run with it if it doesn't line up with the Word. In fact, if it doesn't line up with the Word, forget it. If it's not Word-based, you don't want it. 
And see, Joel, if you want to open your Bibles, you can, or you can just listen to me read it. But it's Joel chapter 2, because I was reminded of that word that Brother Hagen got, and then I thought, well, I'm going to, I want to study a little bit, and Joel chapter 2, you're going to, you're going to recognize these verses. But I looked at them and I thought, you know, this is what Brother Hagen saw as well. This is, these, these are similar. And in Joel chapter 22, it says, or Joel chapter 2, there's not 22 chapters in Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain, in the first month. Now, it helps to understand this if you know how the rains fall in Israel. You see, the, the early rain falls when it's time to put the crop in the ground. You know, and, and we're talking winter, winter grain crops. And so that early rain is happening, you know, around November, December, somewhere in there. That rain is needed to get this crop to actually germinate and grow. You know, it doesn't rain a whole lot in Israel. And so the timing is very important. And so that early rain falls and, and the crop that they've sown into the ground, well, it's up and now it's growing. Well, three months later, it's, it's, it's heading out. It's, you know, it's growing slow because it's winter. And so three months later, it needs some more moisture in order for that head to fill with grain so they can actually get a harvest. And that is the latter rain. So the latter rain falls, and then that head of grain fills up, and they get a good harvest. Well, those rains are usually separated by two or three months. Well, Joel here is saying that the early and the latter rain is going to happen in the same month, or he could even say it's going to happen at the same time. And if you've got that much rain happening at the same time, you're going to get a flood. You're going to get a wave of flooding similar to what Brother Hagin saw. He saw a wave of the Holy Ghost sweeping this world. It's a worldwide revival is what we're bumping up against right now. It's not just for one nation. It's not just for two nations. It's for the whole world. And see, the very next verse tells us what this rain is for. Look at verse 24. It says, the threshing floor shall be full of wheat. And the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Well, that is a picture of harvest. And see, any farmer will tell you, you cannot have harvest unless you first have rain. And our Father God, He has got harvest on His heart. He's wanting a harvest. See, this wave of the Holy Spirit that Brother Hagin saw has to do with the power needed to bring in this huge end-time harvest. Not just get them saved, but bring them on into the barn. See, we're called to get people saved, but we're also called to disciple them. We're called to go into every tongue, every tribe, every people group and bring them into salvation. But we're also called to every tongue, every tribe and every people group to establish churches so they can be discipled. God's wanting this. God wants a harvest from people groups who have yet to even yield one crop. Right now, there are still 7,000 tribes, language group, people groups that do not have a church in their culture. 7,000. Of those, about half, so roughly three and a half thousand, have never heard the name of Jesus even once. Not once. See, We still have some work to do. 
and the United States of America still has a job to do. This nation, God's wanting to revive this nation, yeah, for a lot of reasons, but for one reason, so that we can continue to finance the preaching of this gospel around the world. This nation has always been the springboard for missions. It's always been the financial backing to preach the gospel around the world. We're not finished. There's still much work to do. There's still three and a half thousand tribes that haven't even heard Jesus yet. Seven thousand that don't have a church in their culture. And see, Matthew 24, 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. You look up that word nation. It's coming from the Greek word ethos. It's where we get our word ethnic. It's talking about tongues, tribes, people groups. You see, this gospel, it's got to be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Then. The end will come. See, I, I get tickled sometimes when I hear preachers saying, well, Jesus, come back tomorrow. I don't think so. Why not? There's still 7,000 tribes that haven't been reached. they got to be reached. And then the end will come. Now, this can all happen really, really quick, and I think it will. You know why? Because every sign, every I mean, whoo! You just turn on the you just turn on the news at night and you go, "Wow, Jesus, you're coming back soon." Yeah, he's coming back soon. But what's he waiting for? He's waiting for the harvest. In fact, it says in James chapter five and verse seven, "Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord." See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. He's waiting. He's waiting for the, he's waiting for the harvest. See, our Father God is the best farmer there ever was or ever will be. And He planted His best seed. He sowed His only begotten Son into this world, and He's not calling it quits until He gets the biggest harvest He can get. You know, there are seven and a half billion people living on this planet right now. That's a lot of people. That's God's design. In fact, there's more people alive right now on this planet than have lived right up until this time on this planet. That's a sobering thought. I mean, because this planet's been going for a while. (laughs) There's been people living here for a while. There's more people alive right now than have ever lived on this planet. (laughs) That's God's design. Why does does he want it this way? Because he loves people. He loves them all. He's not content to have any of them going to hell. He wants all of them to come in. He wants a huge family. And so when it comes to this rain falling, when it comes to this this huge end-time harvest coming in, is there something you and I can do? Is there something that we can participate with? Well, Brother Hagin said, swim out into the deep waters of the spirit realm by praying in the Holy Ghost. Get on the next wave of God's purposes for this hour, then keep praying so you can ride that new wave as it builds in divine power and glory. So is there something that you and I can do? Yeah, there's something we, we need to be praying.
And not just praying your, your, your list. You know, it's great that you got a list that you pray in, in English or whatever your mother tongue is. That's great. Pray your list. But that only takes about five or ten minutes, you know. And, or if you're really good at it, you might take a half hour. Because you're, you're praying everybody else's list too. Because <laughs> you're good at it. That's awesome. But after you're done praying that, pray, then what? Well, we need to be praying in the Holy Ghost. See, this is, this is something, you know, Liz and I, we traveled and ministered in those two different cultures in Peru, then the Philippines, Nepal, Vietnam. I've been in and out of Vietnam three times in the last year. And in all this traveling and in all these different nations and in these different cultures, we've been teaching different subjects and stuff. But I've seen a common thread in all of them. And the common thread is God is getting people filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues because he's wanting people praying worldwide for this move that is right on the edge of falling on us right now. He's wanting us to pray and he's wanting people all over the place to pray. We got into Nepal just before Christmas. Uh, We just finished up in the Philippines after Peru. And the Philippines worked us hard, you know, we... Three weeks and umpteen different conferences. I can't even count them all. If we weren't preaching and teaching, we were traveling to the next place to preach and teach. And a lot of times we traveled and then preached and taught. I mean, it was just, it was nonstop. And so we hit Nepal and we, we, we had it worked in. Uh, the travel agent, that'd be me, had one day where we could kick back and relax a little bit in Pokhara, a really nice place at the base of the Annapurna mountain range. I mean, it's beautiful. It's at 3,000 feet, but the Annapurnas are stretching up to about 26,000 feet, and they're only about 30 miles away. So it's like, wow. (laughs) Anyway, we were relaxing there and praying, and our plan was to go back into the village area that we lived in, you know, 27 years ago. We've been back there once three years ago. It's a tough trip, you know. It's We used to walk it for two days. Well, now there's a road if you can call it that. It's a four-wheel drive road that is just the roughest thing I've ever been on in my life. We got bruised up just riding in a Jeep going there three years ago. I mean, just it's like five miles an hour the whole way. Really rough. couple of river crossings, you know, and you're wondering, are we going to make it? <laughs> we're floating. <laughs> Stuff like that to get out there. And so we were planning to do it again. And while we were praying, the Lord said, no. You know, it wasn't an audible voice. He didn't even say the word no. It was just a check. He's like, I got a check on this. I got a red light. Uh, I looked to Liz and she says, I do too. And I said, well, what are we supposed to do? We got about a week here. What are we supposed to do? And he reminded us that we had a Facebook friend. <laughs> now, we never, <laughs> we we do not follow up Facebook friends and because so many people in these other nations are, are wanting us to be their friends. And a lot of times we'll go ahead and friend them. And then they're wanting us to, you know, finance them. And they're wanting this and they're wanting that. And so, okay, we'll be your friend. We'll talk to you a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> we were praying about this. And this guy's face and his name kept coming up to both Liz and I. So I think we need to go talk to him. I think we need to go meet him. And so we sent him a Facebook message. That's usually how I talk to everybody overseas is Facebook messages. I mean, they're into it. And so we sent him a message and said, hey, can we come visit you? And he shocked him, surprised him. And yes, please. And 
So we get on a bus and ride for seven hours. So, well, you know, it wasn't, wasn't real tough. We get to his place on the, on the, the border of India. It's in the Chitwan area. This is, this is a, a national park area for Nepal. That's where they got elephants and one, one horn rhinos and tigers and that kind of stuff in the park. We actually did an elephant ride through the park. It was pretty cool. But that was just, that was not why we were there. We were there, <laughs> we were there to meet Deepak Tamang. And uh, we knew he was a pastor, but once we met him, we realized he's overseeing 30 churches. We didn't know it from Facebook, but once we started talking to him, and then we realized that his family were instigators in getting the gospel into the Tamang tribe. And see, there's 250 tribes in Nepal, and 10 of them have been reached, only 10. This is one that's been reached, and it's primarily because of this family. Well, this is like, okay, this is turning into a pretty cool contact here. And so we talked with him a little more, and he says, would you come preach in my father's church tomorrow? And tomorrow was a Saturday. See, in Nepal, the church meets on Saturday because Sunday's a work day. Saturday's the only day off they have. And so all the church, they're not Seventh-day Adventists, but the churches meet on Saturday. Culturally, it fits. And so that day, we were, Saturday, would you come preach in my dad's church? He's pastoring this one. And I said, yeah, but can, can I teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because I just had that strong unction. Can I teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues? And he looks at me and he said, you know, we don't, we don't have that custom. I said, well, uh, can I teach on it? Because it's in the Bible and I can show you. And he said, no, you go ahead, you teach on it. And so the next day in his father's church, I preached on the baptism of the Holy Ghost and gave an invitation. The whole church got filled with the Holy Ghost, started speaking in other tongues. Pastor Deepak got filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in His dad got filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. And afterwards, Deepak's talking to me and he said, well, I can tell from what you were teaching, this is a pretty important subject. <laughs> yeah, it's foundational doctrine. And... uh then he says, well, I was trained by Presbyterians. He went to a Presbyterian seminary in the capital city of Kathmandu for three years. That's where he learned his English. He's got really good English. And he said the Presbyterians didn't say one word about the Holy Spirit. And later I was just thanking God that they hadn't taught him against the Holy Spirit because he was wide open. And the next day we did his church, his father's church on Saturday. Then the next day on Sunday we went back into the woods. You saw a picture where we did a, a village church, two hours walk to get into this village church. Well, that was ground zero church for the Tamang tribe. It was the first one in that tribe. And uh, I want Liz to come and share uh, a part of a, a testimony, a story of how this first church actually got established, because it's amazing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite amazing, actually. We we just love Nepal um, because it was just where, you know, missions got in our heart and everything. And, and they're actually having revival in Nepal. Uh, it's it's amazing. When we lived there, and it was 30 years ago, honey. It was 30, yeah. 30. Time goes by when really you get fast. Older. <laughs> it was 30 years ago when we lived out in a village, and there was about 10,000 Christians in the nation at that time. And now that they estimate that there's about a million and, and Nepal is like 28 million, 28 believe, million yeah. people there now. So we still got lots, lots of area to win souls. Amen. But, um, Tamang is a, a tribal people 
And Deepak actually friend, friended me, and, and, you know, I had kind of a witness about him. And he knew that, I can't remember how he knew, but he knew we were coming to Nepal, so earlier on he had invited us to come. And I asked Dana, and we looked at a map, and he said, no, we're not going to be in that area. So I told him, no, we can't do it this time. But anyway, so when we got to go, it was really fun to meet, you know, somebody that I had been talking to on, on Facebook a bit, on Messenger. And um, so we went out to this village, and we're sitting there after church, and he's telling us the story about his family. His father was the first pastor. And, and he said when he was real young, he, uh, his father was an alcoholic. And he was, he's the oldest of five children. And his mother, in, in Nepal, it's very uh, often just subsistence farming. So they, they farm and then they eat it, you know. That's basically how they get, get by. And so he, he was the, the oldest son and he had to work all the time and his father was away getting drunk all the time. And so it was not a very easy childhood for him. And, he, and uh, one of his younger brothers got very sick. And, and so sick that he couldn't do anything but lay there. He had a fever all the time. And so the father, you know, the people in Nepal, they love their children. And so he came and he, he came back home for a, a time and, and was real concerned about his son. So they started getting all the Hindu uh, witch doctors and things to come and pray for him. And, and anybody they knew, but the son didn't get any better. And so uh, they had an uncle who was a, a lama. And Buddhist, a Buddhist Lama. And so they went and talked to him that maybe, you know, he had some, some pull with their so-called gods. And, uh, he said, you know, I've never heard of people getting healed. So, but I've heard this, this about this guy named Jesus. He, people are, are being healed in his name, but I don't know nothing about him. So I can't pray for him in the name of Jesus. Well, well, this family happened to know about this one Christian family that lived a couple of villages away, and, and they had been greatly persecuted, this family, because of being Christian. They, they couldn't even work during the day because people would, would come by and throw rocks at them for being Christian, so they had to work at night. But they went and talked to him. And he came and he met with them, and, and he wouldn't actually pray for the boy. What he did was he gave them a couple scriptures that he wrote down and a prayer to pray. And he told them to pray morning and night. And so he started doing that, and his son didn't change. And he had done it for about a month and still no change. But he, but he thought, you know, this is, you know, this has got to be it because I don't have any other choice. And the, actually, the buffalo got sick, and he prayed for the buffalo, and the buffalo got better. <laughs> but his son didn't. But it was actually, he, he prayed that prayer for three months, and then his son got healed. And he was so sick. I mean, his his skin had been totally black. I don't know what what the problem was with him, but he had, uh, you know, obvious healing. And, and all the villagers knew about this this you know sickness. And so when they heard that that the child got healed, there was twelve different families that came in because of this this boy being healed. Well, that's not the end of the story. There was a, a you know whenever God does something. He'll, he'll, you know, the devil stirs up somebody to, to cause problems. Well, this one lady that she, I don't know what her problem was, but she's definitely filled with the devil. She started persecuting them and all the families and getting everybody else to persecute them. So they lost every one of them, uh, backslid, all the 12 families except for the one original family. And then what happened was this lady got, she went blind. 
The persecutor. The persecutor, the lady. She went blind. And, and, and they had forgiven her, but they went and prayed for her, and she got instantly healed. <laughs> and that was the start of the church. The, the families all came back into Christ, and that was the start of the beginning of that, that first church. And it spread from there in the Tamongs. Yeah. That's well, awesome. We were kind of doing an interview with some of the, the members of that church, and we found out that every, every one of them had come into the church because somebody in their family or some neighbor or some friend, somebody got healed. So that was the reason they were coming in. Now, I want you to think about this. This is a group of churches that don't know the Holy Spirit at all, didn't know the Holy Spirit at all, didn't know the gifts of the Spirit, didn't know about gifts of healings. They were getting people healed just by faith in the name of Jesus. Well, now Deepak is taking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that that uh, foundational doctrine, <laughs> he's taking it to all 30 churches. <laughs> they're, they're grabbing a hold of it. We're seeing some video clips of him actually praying over people, and, and we know they're praying in tongues after they're, after they're done. And uh, something else about Deepak. You got any more? I just, I just wanted to say, what the, one of the greatest things for me, when we lived out in the village, there, we lived out, we were the only Christians for hundreds and hundreds of miles and it's just something gets in your heart where you think of all these people for generations never knew the truth never knew any portion of the truth for centuries and now we see children that are being raised in church and and what a blessing that you know your children are raised up to know the truth and but there is generation after generation after hundreds and hundreds of years and nobody knew and so it's just so wonderful when, when God gets a hold of a people. And he's doing it, and it, but it's time for it to happen all over. Yeah. And when, that's why we're excited about what we're doing. We're, we're just really blessed and thankful for what God's called us to do. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Pastor Deepak's got it on his heart to reach these other tribes, which is awesome. I mean, he's, he's already got the church going in his tribe, the Tamang, but he's reached across the border into another tribe, the Chipong people. And so now there's Chipong Christians and Chipong churches. And he's well aware of all the tribes in Nepal that do not have a church in their culture. And so he's beginning to target them in prayer. And this is the kind of guy that will go ahead and do a three-day walk to go back into these places that, and preach Jesus. So we left Chitwan, uh, the Tabong people, and we went to Sirket in the west part of Nepal. And Sirket is the place where there's one of the largest churches there in, in the country. It's a church of about 2,000 people, which is good size for, for Nepal. It's not the biggest. There's, there's a few that are bigger. But this is a 2,000-member church way out. I mean, it is not easy to get to. Uh, <laughs> it is not in the capital city of Kathmandu. It's not in the, any of the major metropolitan areas. This is, this is a big church out in a village area. And uh, Pastor Potom has our, he's, he's pastor of that church, but he's got 23 daughter churches as well that he's established in villages around him. And so they wanted us to come and do a leadership training for the, for their leadership of the church, which we did. We, we did about three days on servant leadership with 40 of the church leaders, which was awesome. And then we got, we were approaching Saturday, you know, worship time, and they said, well, would you preach to the, to the church? And I said, yeah, can, I'm thinking baptism of the Holy Ghost, <laughs> speaking in other tongues. Said, yeah, that'd be great. 
And this is the full gospel church, so I'm even questioning God. And they know this. They do this. And and so church time comes, Saturday morning, and the, the building is packed. There's got to be 1,200 people in there. If they all came, I don't know where they'd fit. So, you know, it's kind of like America. Not everybody comes on the same day. But but it's packed, and they all sit on the floor. You, you saw pictures of them all sitting on the floor there. I preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I gave an invitation, and there was three to 400 hands go up. And I'm going, oh, okay, Lord, how are we doing this? <laughs> because I know from experience they've got no altar care. They've got no ushers. They've got if told them to come front, it'd be a mob scene, and who knows how this would all take place, because I've actually seen that before in that particular church, so <laughs> this was our third time there. And so I checked up on the inside, I said, Lord, how do you want to do this? And he said, I want you to just stand there on the platform, lift up your hands, and pray over them, have them lift up their hands, you watch. And so I did, had Liz come, and we stood on the platform, raised our hands and prayed, and we watched the Holy Ghost fall on those three to 400 people. They all started speaking in other tongues. And I thought, now this is how to do it. (laughs) Then the whole church started speaking in other tongues. I mean, raise the roof in tongues. But why why is God doing this again? Why is He reviving this? Because He was wanting people to pray in the Holy Ghost. He knows as we pray in the Spirit, then He can go ahead and pour out from heaven more of His Spirit, and we can have this wave of revival. Now, I've, I, I want to give you just a little bit more from the Scripture, and then we'll finish this tonight, and we'll get into, into some detail about revival, because I, I, I love to study revivals. And one of the reasons I love to study him is because if I if I see I saw how God moved before, I knew I know He can do it again. He's not lost the recipe. He can do it again if He's done it before. It gives us grounds to believe for Him to do it some more. And see, in Luke chapter three, you can. I'm just going to go about five minutes here, and then just to whet your appetite a little bit, Luke chapter three. This is when Jesus was being baptized in water. But I saw something the other day that I hadn't seen before. Luke chapter 3, I want us to read verses 21 and 22 where it says this. Oh, that's Mark. There we go. Got to get the right book. Luke 3, 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, everybody say, while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. And so, in the past, I think we've always focused on what came out of heaven. Not sure that we focused on what went up to heaven before the heaven opened. Jesus was praying when this took place. And this is not a coincidence. In fact, if you look through scriptures, you can find a pattern. You can find a pattern, and, and this is important. Because if we can we can determine how God was, then we can know how he will be because he's never changed. Amen. And so I started looking for a pattern, and I'll give you a few, and then we'll close it for today and pick it up in the evening. But in Second Chronicles chapter 7, this is when Solomon is dedicating the temple that his father wanted to build. David wanted to build it, couldn't do it. Solomon built it, and then he's dedicating the temple, and you know this story. 
you know that that the glory of God came down to the point where it was just awesome and amazing. But what I hadn't really picked up on before was how what it says in Second Chronicles 7 and verse 1. It said, when Solomon had finished praying. So what was he doing prior to all of this? He was praying. And then fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. In fact, the next verse says, the glory of the Lord filled the temple to the point where the priest couldn't even go in there to minister. And I always get this visual picture of him trying to go through the door and just bouncing off of this glory. You know? <laughs> I get a picture of, of some of them, you know, some of them with a little more gumption backing up and taking a run at it, you know, trying, trying to get him bouncing off again. That's my own imagination. It's not in the scripture. But it was so full of the glory they couldn't get in. But see, I'm an end results kind of preacher. I want to know, well, what was the end result of all of this? In verse 3, it says the children of Israel saw the fire come down. They saw the glory fill the temple. And then they hit their faces. And what did they say? They gave praise to God and said, for the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. And see, the end result is that God showed off. He poured out some of His power and some of His glory. The end result is people were attracted to Him. People begin to praise him. And God's wanting to do that again. And see, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We'll see another example. Acts chapter 2. You know this one. And you know the example I'm going to give you. But look at it, Acts 2 and verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, they were all with one accord in one place. And what were they doing in that one place in one accord? Acts 1.14 tells us that they were praying. So they were having a prayer meeting, and while they prayed, their prayers were going up into heaven, and then the heaven opened, and what happened? Well, we see in verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from where? From heaven. That sound didn't come from the east to west or north to the south. It came from heaven. Amen. And in other places in Scripture, it talks about thunder coming from heaven. You know, a thunder, and when thunder comes from heaven, you don't have to stop and wonder, is that the normal kind of thunder, or is that the kind that comes from heaven? When it happened in the Scriptures, nobody turned to their neighbor and said, normal or heavenly? (laughs) No, they all knew. They all knew. And see, God's wanting to do more of this. He's wanting to, how do we know that? Well, in the same chapter, verse 19, it says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. What's he wanting to do? He's wanting to put on some signs and wonders. He's wanting to put on a show so that people will know that God is real. He's wanting to attract mankind to himself. He's wanting all of those 7.5 billion people to understand, hey, God is God. He is real. Jesus came. They can have him. He's wanting to attract them to himself. Amen. See, it doesn't really matter how good mankind gets or how intelligent we get or how technologically advanced we become. You know, Liz and I were at the San Diego Zoo last week. Yeah, last week. And they've got one of them theaters where you go in, you know, you got to put a seatbelt on because that sucker's going to move. <laughs> you get in there and they 3D glasses and they got all this special effects stuff hit us in the back of the legs and, and poof of wind in the face and 3D coming at us, you know. And it's like, wow, that's quite impressive. But when God puts on a special effects show... Nobody's going to wonder if it's a movie scene or not. Nobody's going to. They're all going to know, man, this is supernatural. This is from heaven. This is God doing it. 
there'll be no comparison. See, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 2, it says the Holy Spirit filled that room like a rushing mighty wind. Well, the Amplified says like the rushing of a violent tempest blast. They didn't have any words to describe it. Nobody had ever heard it before. And so they used the best words they had. They said it was like, you know, like a, a blast of wind. But if you put yourself in in their position and you're there and you've been praying and then the, this blast of wind, some people actually describe it more like a jet engine sound. Because Oral Roberts, before he passed to the other side, God gave him a vision where he saw and heard some things. And he heard the wind of the Holy Ghost and he said it was like jet engine stuff. Well, they didn't have jet engines back in those days. What they had was wind. And so that's the way they described it. It was like a blast of mighty wind. And if you'd have been there, you'd have heard it. And you'd have known, man, that's coming from heaven. You turn to your neighbor and they got some fire dancing on their head, you know, so, some Holy Ghost fire. And you go, whoa. And then you all start speaking in other tongues. I mean, this is going to cause a ruckus. And in fact, it attracted everybody in that city to come and see what was going on. And they all heard them speaking about the glories of God in their own language. And so you can establish a pattern. You know, and I'll leave you with one more example, and then we'll shut it down and pick it up tonight. And, and that's when Elijah uh, confronted Ahab, his wife Jezebel, and the prophets of Baal. It's one of my favorite stories. You can read about it in First Kings 18, and he's, he's calling them to a duel. <laughs> you know, because they got all the all the people of Israel bowing down to the Baals, and Elijah doesn't like it, and and so he fact he challenges those prophets and say, "Okay, all right, let's do this." You go ahead and make your, your, your sacrificial place and you make your, put your wood on it, cut up your animals, put it on there. You call on your God and I'll do the same. I'll make a, an altar and, and cut up a sacrifice and I'll call on my God and the God that answers by fire. He's God. First we know the prophets of Baal, they, he basically gave them most of the day. And then even mocked him a little bit and said, well, what's the problem? Your God gone to sleep? Maybe maybe you need to wake him up. Maybe if he yelled a little louder, he'd wake up and answer you. Of course, he, he's knowing what's going to go on, right? And that while they're doing all that, I mean, he's built his altar 12 stones. He's put the wood. He's cut up the animal. He's put it on there. He dug a trench around the whole thing and then flooded it with water to the point that it's sopping wet and the water's filled the trench. And then, again, I hadn't noticed this before. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36 and 37 are the words that Elijah prayed. And once he was done praying, verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifices and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. You know, when God moves like this, he just flat shows off. To win this duel, all he had to do was consume the sacrifice. No, he just flat showed off. That heavenly fire came, consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones are gone. (laughs) And all the water in the trench got licked up. Even the dust got licked up. And see, I'm a result preacher. What happened? What was the result of all that? Well, verse 39 says, when the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And these were all these idol worshipers. They fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Well, God's wanting to do these same kind of things today. 
And he's wanting to do it around the world. And he's wanting to go ahead and put on a show. But he's looking for people that will cooperate with him. He's looking for us. He's looking for people to go ahead and be praying in the Holy Ghost. Because he's wanting to pour out of his spirit again from heaven. He's wanting to... And see, some people say, well, God already poured out his spirit. Yeah, he poured out some of his spirit. See, if you read about it in Acts 2, it says that he will pour out of his spirit again. He didn't pour out all the Holy Spirit there was. There's still some more to be poured out. And this is the wave that Brother Hagin saw. He saw that wave. He saw a tsunami wave hitting this world. And it's a wave of the Holy Ghost. It's a wave of His power. It's a wave of His glory. And it's going to cause some signs, some wonders. There's going to be people see some things. There's going to be people hear some things. And when they see it and hear it, they're going to know where it came from. And they're going to know that God is alive. And that Jesus is the answer. It's going to cause this end time harvest to come in. See, that's why I say this can be quick. Yeah, there's still 7,000 tribes that need to come in, but it can be, it can happen fast. It's gonna happen fast. Amen. Well, tonight we'll, we'll go a little further into that. You just want to whet your appetite a little bit. But mostly I wanted to share with you what God's doing in the places that we go to. You know, there, there are nations having revival right now. Liz mentioned Nepal, and yeah, there's revival going on. There's people, we can go into a city now and, and say the name of Jesus, and they actually know who he is. Never used to be that way. But there's revival going on in Argentina, places in South America, places in Africa. Revival like, I can't even describe it because I've never been there. God sends us to the places that need it. <laughs> he sends us to the places where it's 0.1% Christian. We get to go to the tough places. That's why he calls us ends of the earth ministries, because the places we go, if that's not the end of the earth, you can see it from there. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay, very quickly. <laughs> so, uh, come August, we're actually going to move to Thailand uh, and spend right up until Christmas time there. We're going to facilitate an AFCM Bible school. It's the ITC Bible school, but it's going to be taught live. We're going to bring the instructors in from America. Uh, I've, I've talked to a number of them that are willing to come. Some of them are, are too busy, like Tony Cook said, I'm too busy. I said, well, can I, can you send me your notes? Can you send me your, your outlines and your tests and all the handouts? And he said, yeah. So I'll be Tony Cook in Thailand. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind. He's got good stuff. <laughs> so I'll I'll be a substitute over there. But we're we're bringing these these instructors in, and then we're going to use state of the art equipment to. Okay, so we've got an instructor and an interpreter standing side by side. We're going to video record it so that it can then be used across the country. So we're going to do it in two languages. First, we're going to do we're going to do Thai in one location. Then, once they've finished in that location, we'll take them to a second location, and they'll do the Shan language. Now, Shan's one of the bigger tribes in in Burma as well as Thailand. I forget how many people they are, but they need the Bible school in their own language. So this is how we're going to do it, and uh, this will take until you know about four months. We'll get it. We'll get a Bible school. In their language, in that amount of time, it can then be duplicated and sent all over the nation. That's number one. In 2018, we're going to do it again in Nepal. We're going to do it in Sirket, in that big church that you saw there. They've been talking to us for the last couple of years. Please come and teach us. So 
we're going to bring a whole bunch of teachers. And we're going to get it in the Nepali language. And then it's going to go out from there. Okay? <laughs> Just checking with my other half. You know, we, we, we celebrated 40 years of marriage on... on <laughs> 40 years! I, I had... I had some people say, now, I thought that was against the law to get married that young. I said, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Forty years. All right. <laughs> Pastor, I, I think I'm supposed to turn this back over to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Thanks, Pastor, for reminding me. I usually have that stuff in here, and I don't. Oh, yeah, I do. If you want to know more about what we're doing, pick up one of these pamphlets on your way out, brochure, whatever you want to call it. It, it kind of tells our life story, how we got to where we're at. And then if you want to keep up with what we're doing, fill out one of these and make sure you give it to us. Because if you don't give it to us, then we can't put you on the email newsletter list. That's all we need is your name and email. Now, if you want to give us more information, you can. We don't usually use it. You know, we used to send out snail mail, but we quit doing that. Now it's all email. And so if you give us your email address, we'll put you on the list, but make sure you open it. Because <laughs> when we send them out, you know, we, we use MailChimp so we know who opens it and who don't. <laughs> and it's amazing how many people don't open it. And I thought, well, oh, and so go ahead. <laughs> and See, this is important because when we get into places where we need prayer, you're already aware that we need prayer. When I was in Vietnam sitting in that closet, I was praying and then I was thanking God, Thank you, Lord. There's people praying for me right now. I know it. There's people praying. There have been people praying before I got in this closet. You knew I was coming into this closet. You've made a way for me to get out of this closet. <laughs> so if you want, if these are on the table back there. And uh, with that, I'll Bernie. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.